Once again, those of you watching by live stream, good to have you with us. Those of you in the sanctuary here, thank you for coming. Um, we're going to begin with a question. I'm going to pose that question here. And we'll, we'll have it on the screen as well. Let me remind you that we invite you to engage with us about the question. Give us your thoughts, your feelings. Give us any answers. We would love to hear from you. All right, here's how you do that. You can text us, first of all, at 720-878-3323. Or you can just chat with us on your device there that you're watching the program on. So put it into the type it into the chat window, and we'd be happy to chat with you. All right, here's our question for this morning. What memory from a movie or cartoon do you have to this day that's caused you to have feelings or experience something you've never forgotten? I'll read it again. What memory from a movie or cartoon do you have to this day that's caused you to have feelings or experience something that you've never forgotten. All right, begin typing. Text us your answers. Those of you here in the sanctuary, we would invite you. Of course, Matt is going to come. He has a microphone. He'll, uh, he'll help you with that so that we can hear what you're saying. The principle here for those of you that are speaking into the microphone is kiss the mic, okay? That's how we know that you've got it close enough so that we don't have to labor over volume issues. Okay, first question. I'm not going to kiss the mic. <laughs> um, which one to choose, but um, I was going to say the fox and the hound. Um, when the dog's beat, but I will, I, the other one I want to say is the Sixth Sense movie, um, the memory when the mom is in the car with the kid, and the kid asks her, um, or the kid says, Grandma um, wants you to know that she's proud of you every day, and I could still start crying about it, because the mom doesn't realize that her mom, who has passed away, is proud of who wow. she is. Wow, I don't know how our volume is in the live stream, but uh, Jeff, let's be sure we make sure you're in your ATEM controls up plenty loud enough because that was a great question. And I want everybody to be sure to hear um, people's responses here. So um, two movies were mentioned, Function the Hound and Sixth Sense, but specifically about Sixth Sense, the memory of the mom in the car with the child. And she says, he says... I think it goes like this. Um, he says, there's a question that you always ask grandma, and, and she sa he says, I, she wants you to know the answer is every day. And he says, what is the question that you ask grandma? And he, she says, are you proud of me? Oh, my goodness. Okay. <laughs> so I don't know if you've seen the movie The Sixth Sense, but it uh, you know, has to do with people able to hear from the beyond still the voices, right? And be, have awarenesses from the beyond. And uh, what, a great, what a great scene that is. Love that, love that. Are you proud of me? And mom wants you to know. Mom wants you to know she's proud of you. The answer is yes. Anybody else? 
Okay, let me, while, while we're waiting on anybody else here in the sanctuary, I forgot, I need to be sure that I'm checking the broadcast here uh, for anybody that might be dialoguing with us that way. So let me jump into my control screen here. I apologize for not having that already up. Okay, good morning from several people that are watching. So now I know, I know you have memories, ones that give you imaginations from either movies or cartoons. Come on, everybody. Get to typing. Engage with us about this. All right? Drawing a blank, yeah. Now see, the, the cool thing, I wanna latch onto this, when Lisa shared her response to that, which has to do with a movie, she said, I still cry today in mem remembering that scene, and she started, in fact, to tear up and her voice crack. Now see, that's the power of imagination. That's the power of your mind and visual images to literally latch on, stay with us, and evoke feelings, evoke emotions, and of course change or adjust or influence our behavior, and of course that's what our series is all about, your imagination. Anybody else? Y'all are a quiet bunch. I don't, I don't think I've ever had it quite this quiet. So no cartoons, no, no movie memories that strike you? Yeah. My daughter says, I'll give you like three more. <laughs> I'm surprised my wife's not jumping on this. She loves movies. Right. I think that's happening to a lot of folks. We're just kind of drawing a blank. All right, no, nobody's responded yet in the, in the chat. Okay, go ahead, we'll bring it. Hold the mic real close for me, real close well, to your lips. How's this? I'd say Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. <laughs> Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. I almost mentioned that in the text of my notes because of the Disney movie fascination, you know, that has captured so many millions yeah, of people what specifically happy, about snow white real happy feeling you know just watching it and yeah happy feeling yeah walking in that <laughs> yes yes yeah you know That's snow true. white and the seven dwarfs is one of the disney movies that is thought to have direct biblical correlation to a particular theme and that is death and resurrection and that snow white black hair had to do with death light skin had to do with life and joy and then her red lipstick you know that she's very engaged but also loses her life or you know uh almost and uh then redemption so it's it's very interesting and those are strong emotions strong visual images that these movies uh create in us and then we remember you remember just happiness and enjoy out of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Okay, next movie or next response. 
I would have to choose field of dreams. I would have to choose field of dreams just due to the, like, if you build it, they will come, and you kind of see through the whole movie. He's listening to this voice, and he has to use his imagination and follow this step by step, and he doesn't really know what he's doing, but he's just following this voice, and the little girl at the end was just telling him, they're, they're going to come. <laughs> if you build it, they will come. So. so personally, for you, that movie has influenced your feelings or your behavior how? In an inspirational way. <laughs> I have one from a fairly new movie called The Atom Project. Okay. Um, there's this part where um, I guess Adam, his older self, is, is at the bar uh, with his mom, but she doesn't know it's him. And she's telling him how um, the young Adam hates her. And he's like, well, no, he doesn't. Um, boys always run back to their mamas. And um, he goes to leave the, the bar and tells her um, he loves you more than you know. And I guess there she had like a, she, she saw him, you know, as his younger self. Um, and then she runs after him and, you know, he just kind of disappeared. But I, I love that because I have two boys and it's, you know, despite, you know, the tantrums and the hard times, he, you know, he's always going to love me. <laughs> so I, I love it. <laughs> and no matter how old he gets, he will run back to mama. Have you guys ever seen The Good Dinosaur? The Good Dinosaur? The, the Good Dinosaur. I, I have not. Oh, I've seen it like a million times. It's a good. million? Wow. Nine playing. Day and night. Um, so it's about this dinosaur, and he's weak. He's small. His dad was expecting a big dinosaur, and he's not big. His sister and um, his brother are better than him, and he knows it. And so his dad never gives up on him, gives him the benefit of the doubt, and gives him this challenge. Said, hey, there's a critter. It's eating all of our food. You need to get it. And he couldn't, he couldn't kill it. He didn't have the willpower to kill the little boy, which was a caveman. And um, so the dad makes him go out there with him to go kill it. So it would stop. He's like, let's go. We're going to go kill it. We're going to get it done and over with. And the dad sees eventually, like, the little boy can't do it. So he's like, all right, let's go home. And so they're on their way home, and the dam breaks. And the dad gets washed away, drowns and dies. You know, like Disney, it's kind of dark. They, they got some dark parts. And um, so the dinosaur goes home, you know, and without his mom. And the critter comes back, goes and eats their corn. And then so he's like, all right, now I'm going to get you because now my dad's dead because of you because I couldn't do what my dad wanted, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So he goes and gets, chases him, and they fall into the river, and they get swift down. And then um, he, they get to land and everything, and eventually the caveman boy comes to the dinosaur, and he starts giving him all this stuff like here, 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 so you can survive. And that dinosaur is like, I'm not going to forgive you. You killed my dad. And along the way, they end up, like, getting together because that little boy saves him time and time again. And 
the dinosaur forgives him because it wasn't his fault. He was just hungry. He needed to eat too, you know? And Mm. they defend each other day in, day out. And um, the dinosaur ends up falling off a cliff. And he's like on the bridge of like death alive. And he sees his dad. His dad like on snaps him and then like, let's go. And he's like, no, dad, I can't go. I can't do it. I cannot leave him behind. I need to go save him. I know what he did, but I need to go save him because he's my friend. And then he snaps back to life and goes and saves his friend. Wow. So many different messages in there. Messages of forgiveness, redemption, so on. And this has influenced your life in a particular way? What? Like made you more forgiving, more kind, more thoughtful? Can't hold anything against someone. Judge not. Can't judge a book by its cover. You don't know what they're going through. Great messages. Really good messages. Anybody else in the sanctuary thus far? Again, the question, and let's, uh, let's put it back up. The question is, what memory from a movie or cartoon do you have to this day that's caused you to have feelings or to experience something you've never forgotten? Uh, mine would be, I have, there's two movies. Well, first one is Fireproof, and then uh, um, the other one is, uh, uh, I forgot the name of Curry, Curry, Curry. Anyways, Fireproof would be the one where Kirk Cameron's uh, character, he finally uh, over, overcame his addiction, and he took the computer outside, and he uh, destroyed it, you know? And um, and the other one would be where uh, in the other movie where the gentleman he's uh, wanting a job and uh, he got laid off from his job and he's walking down the street and he's like, what am I supposed to do? You know, how am I going to feed my family? And uh, the guy that he was having his his shed built and he's waiting for this guy and his the guy he's waiting for is the same has the same name as he does. And he's thinking it's him that's walking down the street, and his name was Javier, and he's like, you know, he's calling him, and he's like, okay. <laughs> so he goes, and he works for this guy, and it's not even the same guy that is supposed to be there, but it's like God had, had put him in that spot that time because he knew that he needed a job, you know? And uh, my thing is that God is always for us. He's never against us. And he's always, mm-hmm. um, he always has a, when we don't think we are, we, the plan's going to work out for us, that God always comes through and he's, he's always there for us. God is always for us. He's not against us. He's arranging things. All things work together to the good of those who are called according to his purpose. Yes. Anybody else? Final invitation to respond. What memory or movie or cartoon, what memory from a movie or cartoon do you have to this day that's caused you to have feelings, right? What are those feelings? What it caused you to think or to feel? Anybody else? All right, everybody, I'm going to tie into this morning's uh, lesson, and I've called it 
loving the unlovable, using the power, the gift of imagination to love the unlovable. All right, first I want to start with a definition. This comes from Webster's Dictionary. The definition of imagine. The act or power of forming a mental image of something not present to the senses. Excuse me, I'm going to start over and read that with the proper punctuation. The act or power of forming a mental image of something not present to the senses or never before wholly perceived in reality. Right? So we're talking about the power, and last week we talked about the real you, the true you, the power of the real you inside, which is directly connected to your imaginations. You are more than what you can see with your natural sight. You are more than what your feelings tell you. You are better than the input of family members, friends, the media, especially social media, or religious teaching that you have received. And your imagination, that special gift God's given you, helps you realize and come into the reality of who you are. We we ended last week with this passage of Scripture. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 23. Thus, you are habitually renewed in the innermost mind. This will cause you to be completely reprogrammed in the way that you think about yourself. You see, God desires to use the gift of your imagination to help you reprogram your thoughts. And when you reprogram your way of thinking, it will completely change the way that you act, the way that you think about yourself. He says that we're to be habitually renewed. So this is something you need to use your imagination all the time, not just in a movie theater or watching a cartoon. But when we get into the practice of using the power of imagery, we can literally transform ourselves by transforming the way that we think. We need to ponder the truth about you, all right? You need to ponder truth about you. Where do you get that truth? What are you supposed to ponder? Well, you ponder what God says about you, starting with what he says about you in his word. Begin with this, I am co-seated with Christ. So whatever's going on right now, I am raised up above that circumstance through Christ. I'm seated with Christ. Now, see, that can be just a, a, a theology that you've acknowledged. It can be just a nice verse in Ephesians that you've agreed with. But if you never imagine being seated with Christ in heavenly places, that verse lacks the power to change you. It's just a doctrine. It's just me acknowledging a truth, but that truth doesn't transform me. But when I combine the power of my imagination with a truth, and I visualize that thing, that truth is going to transform me. Do you get that connection there? So it's very, very powerful to actually imagine yourself seated with Christ in heavenly places. 
Now that doesn't necessarily mean on a cloud, in a throne room, all of that kind of stuff. But I mean if that helps you, fine. But it's that imagery of being consumed with in his presence, loving him, being near him, him having his arms around you. Maybe you're taking a walk, maybe you're fishing, whatever, and you're there together, you're talking to Jesus. But these are images that you can have. Now, several of you have told me about images from years and years ago that have influenced your feelings. Lisa said, I have an image, a memory of a movie I watched that to this day, when I recount it, it causes me to cry. Well, see, when you imagine, when you use the wonderful gift of your imagination to see yourself in that setting or doing that thing that the truth of God's word speaks about, It will transform you because it motivates you. It affects and influences your emotions, your behavior, the way you think. And God's given us this gift to do just that. So, you can never be more co-raised and co-elevated than what you already are. You're not trying to be more like Jesus. Get that language out of your vocabulary. You cannot be more co-seated, co-raised with Christ than you are. You say, well, so what is the whole idea behind Christian growth or growing as a Christian or becoming closer to God? Well, I would take exception with that last one. You don't get closer to God. You can't be any closer to God than you are right now. You can't be any more in God's favor than you are right now. You say, Pastor Jeff, you you don't know what I did this week. Well, you don't know what I did this week. (laughs) And the truth is, that doesn't matter. We're still co-seated. What I may or may not have done this week doesn't remove me from God's presence, doesn't change proximity, all right? So again, I say, you cannot be more co-raised, co-elevated than what you are presently in God's presence. But here's the reality. You can grow in your awareness of your redeemed oneness with Jesus. How many of you understand that? You can grow in your awareness here of your redeemed oneness with Christ. That's Christian growth. That's maturity. Now, You may be familiar with the name I'm about to mention and some of the circumstances, but if not, listen carefully. We had a senator in the United States here for many, many years who was also a war hero. He has since passed away two years ago, I believe it was. Uh, His name is John McCain. Many people know the history of his story or the history of how he served in the military, but many people don't. But he was, a, he was a fighter pilot, and he was flying over Vietnam, and his particular mission was to drop bombs. Well, he was shot down, and when he landed, even though he was in a parachute, he broke uh, one of his legs, both of his arms, and then was captured. Fast forward dozens of years to where he now, he lived through that and he's back home and he's being interviewed 
And he's being interviewed specifically about his time of being captured by the Viet Cong. During that capture, he spent three years in solitary confinement. He was confined, I believe, a total of ten. I'm not sure on that fact. He was in solitary confinement for at least two or three of that. In this interview, I want, I want you to listen to what he said in his interview about solitary confinement. I remained in solitary confinement from that time on for more than two years. I was not allowed to see or talk or communicate with any of the fellow prisoners. My room was fairly decent sized, I'd say about 10 by 10. The door was solid. There were no windows. The only ventilation came from two small holes at the top of the ceiling, about six inches by four inches. The roof was tin, and it got hot as hell in there. The room was kind of dim, night and day, but they always kept a small light bulb so that they could observe me. I was in that place for two years, in this hole. Communication was vital for survival, he says. As far as this business of solitary confinement goes, the most important thing for survival is communication with someone. Even if it's just a wave or a wink, a tap on the wall, or to have a guy put his thumb up. It makes all the difference. It's vital to keep your mind occupied, and we all worked on that. Some guys were interested in mathematics, and so they worked out complex formulas in their heads. They were forever, they were never allowed to have writing materials, though. Now think about this. You're in solitary confinement, you're a prisoner of war, you're not allowed to have any kind of writing materials. All you can do is use your mind. And some of those prisoners literally kept alive by rehearsing complex math formulas. Others would build a whole house from basement on up in their minds. They weren't doing it physically with a hammer. They were doing it in their minds. All the pieces, all the parts, and the plumbing, and the wood, and where you put it. They would build a house from the basement on up in their minds. I have a more philosophical bent. I had read a lot of history, and I spent days on end going back over those history books in my mind, figuring out where this country or that country went wrong and what the U.S. should do in foreign affairs. I thought about the very meaning of life. One of the things he did, he tells of, he, he started thinking about all the prisoners of war and mentally memorized the name of over 330 prisoners of war as he thought about who he knew had been captured so that to this day and up until his death, he could tell you the name of all 330 prisoners of war because he memorized that using his imagination while he was in captivity. Now, loving the unlovely you see, that's actually an expression of love and grace. But it's based on the very power of imagination where Jesus invites us into when he introduces us to communion. And we're going to celebrate communion in a few moments. Listen to this scripture. John's Gospel, chapter 6, verse 53. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Now, I want to stop and ask you something. Is Jesus inviting us to literally eat 
his flesh like a cannibal would and drink his blood like a vampire would, let's say. Isn't, I mean, just the thought of that, isn't that a little gross? In fact, the New Testament records that after Jesus said this and taught this about communion, the majority of everybody following him left. <laughs> he was just so gross. Oh, eat my body, drink my blood. How, how, how can you be from God? How can He was telling them something very special about using the power of their imagination to participate in something that for thousands of years now has kept people in proximity both to God and to each other in love and grace. Eating the body and blood of Christ is less about suffering and more about community. The cruciform love of God. John Crowder says this, Our participation in Christ is not to assist him, but to consume him. In doing so, we embody him, and our lives as sacrament declare him beyond words. Greg Boyd expresses this, powerful imagination of loving others through our imagination this way you see Jesus through unattractive disguises seeing Jesus through unattractive disguises I love that sister Teresa mother Teresa had a prayer that she spoke each day it went like this. Dearest Lord, may I see you today and every day in the person of your sick and whilst nursing them, minister unto you. Though you hide yourself behind the unattractive, disguise of the irritable, the exacting, the unreasonable, may I still recognize you and say, Jesus, my patient, how sweet it is to serve you. You see how she's using the power of imagination to see the unattractive as actually an expression of the very love of God. In fact, Jesus himself. Mother Teresa understood that when we serve others, we're serving Jesus. The trouble is, is that often the people that we're called to serve don't look very much like what we expect Jesus to look like. Can anybody raise a hand or just say amen? <laughs> I have people in my life who do not look like Jesus. They do not behave like Jesus. They don't talk like Jesus. Well, here's what you do. Act like, like uh, Sister uh, uh, Teresa did, Mother Teresa. All right. See them. Listen to them. Dearest Lord, may I see you today in every day in, excuse me, and every day in the person of your sick. In the person of your sick. Isn't that amazing? Deeper reality that Jesus expressed 
is like this. Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of these, you have done it unto me. Whatever you've done for one of these brothers or sisters, no matter how unlovely or gross or sick or unbecoming or evil or racist or whatever they might be, in that you've done it unto them, you've done it unto me, he said. Matthew chapter 25 and verse 40. To see through Jesus unattractive disguises when dealing with challenging people, many people find that it's helpful to just whisper the name of Jesus over and over. So when you're dealing with somebody that's very unattractive or a very unattractive situation, to see Jesus in that, whisper his name over and over. What are you doing? You're doing the same thing that John McCain did when he memorized 330 names of his fellow prisoners. You're doing the same thing that military men did when in captivity, in their minds, nothing in writing that they had to use. They built houses from the ground up, every piece, where the wood went, the roof and all the plumbing. See, you use your imagination to love the unlovely. It is very challenging to do this, to use your imagination to see Jesus in somebody who's not acting like Jesus. There's people who trigger feelings of disgust in us, hostility within us. There's people who are cruel and vindictive and racist or violent or very unrighteous. They might be greedy or perverted or petty. And I love what Greg Boyd says. With people like this, I find it helpful to envision them as the innocent child they once were. Isn't that great? I love that. People aren't born cruel, vindictive, racist, violent, or self-righteous. There's demonic oppression in the world. There's mental health issues in the world. And so what we have to do is relinquish all judgment and remain humble and compassionate ourselves. We, we, we envision hard-to-love people as little children, which then makes it easier to view people through the unattractive disguises and catch a glimpse of Jesus before their ugly actions. I just love the power of this to change how I relate to the unlovely. And I've begun to practice this more and more. Because I was all so judgmental, all so critical, figured it was my mission as a pastor to change you, <laughs> to teach you how to be more like my standards, my way of living, my understanding of the Bible. And now I've given up on all of that. I ask God to give me the eyes to see the unsurpassable worth that he sees in every difficult person or situation. Hey, remember, the person that you're engaging with presently in this moment, that situation you're engaged with right now in this moment is the single most person in the world. What a wonderful principle for us to use our imagination for. When you're with somebody that's outright unlovely, think to yourself, imagine. You know, first see them as a child. See them as not like that. See them as they must have been as a child, happy and running and playing. And, and then have this thought. 
Repeat it to yourself along with Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Use this thought, you know, thank you, Father. This person is the most important person in the world right now. Isn't that incredible? You see, even Jesus brought children into this equation of our imagination. I'm reading from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 18. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? What a discussion. Hey, Jesus, tell us, who's going to be the most important in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put the child in the midst of them, and he said, truly I tell you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This is not talking about a physical location or going to heaven. It's not talking about the afterlife. It's talking about presence. It's talking about your redeemed oneness, innocence with Jesus. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Once again, when Jesus used this phrase, kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God, it's not referring to a geographical location that you go to in the afterlife. It's talking about your redeemed oneness with Jesus. It's talking about you being in the presence of Jesus. Whoever humbles himself like this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. Ah, ah, Whoever receives one receives me. Ah, whoever receives that one is doing it for me, of me. It's like you're receiving me if you're receiving, are you getting that connection? When you love someone that's unlovely, when you choose to see in a circumstance something different and imagine it being better you are doing it unto Jesus you are doing it as though it were Jesus this testimony of the redemptive nature of the child one who came and helped the dinosaur and so forth who had a vendetta right but it changed the dinosaur into a loving friend because the child helped change the image of what they saw. Weiss' translation of verse 5 of our text here that I just read goes this way. Unless you reverse your present trend of thought and become as the little child or become as little children, you will in no case enter the kingdom of heaven, not the afterlife, When somebody says, you know, I just don't feel very close to God. Is it possible that you're not using your imagination to serve, to love the unlovely? Jesus makes a direct correlation between loving the unlovely, being humble and acting like a child, and being in his presence serving him oh I just need to be more involved I, 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 I need to do more spiritual things I need to get more involved in my church or I need to sing in the choir or I need to do this or that or read my Bible more not according to Jesus he says the equation works like this do it unto others love others 
Serve those who are unlovely. Serve those who aren't like you or aren't like Jesus. Love them. Use your imagination to see them as little children. And when you do it unto them, you are doing it unto Jesus. Your proximity awareness will change in relationship to you using your imagination to love and to serve. Luke chapter 18, this idea comes into focus once again in verses 16 and 17. Now this is the Passion Translation and I appreciate so much this translation in this verse because I think that the translators really get this right. In fact, I understood that it was a translator, more like the mirror translation, Francois Dutrois. This is the Passion Translation, primarily translated by an individual who understood and was a student of and a, a Greek scholar and language scholar. Listen to this. Then he told them, Verses 16 and 17 of Luke 18. Never hinder a child from coming to me, but let them all come, for God's kingdom belongs to them as much as it does anybody else. These children demonstrate to you what faith is all about. I need more faith. No, you need to act more like a child. Learn this well. Unless you receive the revelation of the kingdom, look, Unless you understand presence, unless you understand proximity to Jesus, more like the way a child does, you're not even going to be able to enter in. Not afterlife, change of life, transformation here on this earth. You won't be able to enter into proximity and presence in the way that you want to unless you use your imagination like a child to love the unlovely. Here's what the mirror translation says. And oh, Francois, bless you, my brother. I love this, love this. Jesus then summoned his disciples to him, clearly instructed them to immediately allow the little ones to freely come to him and not to hinder them at all. They own God's kingdom ex. In <laughs> instinctively see when you act like a child and use your imagination to love the unlovely that's instinctively a kingdom principle that is instinctively more like Jesus than you could ever imagine yeah. it's instinctive in the kingdom to understand that to be more present to have closer proximity, awareness of Jesus is to act like a child, which is what? To be humble, to not judge, all right? To see others without judgment, to instinctively see others as children first and circumstances changing by God's power and presence. Why? Why a child? Why does Jesus use a child to say that heaven's greatest, not heaven, excuse me, but the kingdom's presence, the entry to kingdom presence and kingdom power is obtained by acting like a child? Why does Jesus use a child to demonstrate this? Number one, their minds are not cluttered with religious perceptions of performance 
relating to their requirements to be pleasing to the Lord. Secondly, when you embrace like a little child, when you embrace Jesus, you embrace the kingdom like a little child. According to Luke chapter 9, verse 47 and 48, Jesus said, for a moment, forget about the great things you've witnessed and done. Imagine me as this little child. To see the significance of life hiding in a little one is to see what the Father sees in everyone. To see the significance of life hiding in a little one is to see what the Father sees in everyone. Yeah, but you don't know how they're acting. You don't know what they said to me. You don't know what they did. I know, and that's why it takes a child to think differently, to imagine. I know that these circumstances are real. We're not just sweeping it under the carpet and pretending like it doesn't exist. These are real problems. These are real people with real problems, including me. I am very unlovely sometimes. But if one's approach is to see me as a child does, then the Father allows you to see everyone the way he sees them, which is in perfect love without any judgment or criticism. I'm going to respond to my own question this morning by showing you something. I have a cartoon that has been with me all my life. I first started seeing this cartoon when I was about six years of age and for the next four years until I was maybe 10, eight to 10 years of age. I have very fond memories of this cartoon, okay? Now, I'm going to play for you 40 seconds of this cartoon because it is the closing every time every day the cartoon was shown it closed it ended it had a, an outro with the same music showing the same scene and it is embedded in my mind I'm going to show it to you right now and then I'll comment about how it's influenced me forgotten that I used to sit with eyes glued and it's so frustrating I can remember it's so tangible I would be so frustrated that that cat picked up Fred Flintstone took him outside of his own house plopped him on the porch and shut the door and it was locked behind him and then Fred could not get back in and the cat, who Fred had set out on the porch, with the door locked, came in through the window. And I used to think, 
Can't we do something with the window? Can't we cover the window? It used to frustrate me. I'm just a little kid. I'm six. I'm seven. I'm eight years old. And to this day, I am frustrated that we couldn't, that that cat took control, that we couldn't do something with the window to keep the cat from coming back in, and then that when the cat put Fred out, the door was locked. I want to show you a quote. This is by Carl Barth. And it goes like this. This much is certain that we have no theological right to set any sort of limits to the loving kindness of God which has appeared in Jesus Christ. Our theology duty is to see and understand it as being still greater than anything we can conceive. And that means even the unlovely. Everyone is redeemed. In the mind and heart of God, he has provided through Jesus Christ redemption to humanity, not just those who go to church or pray the prayer or act the right way. Jesus redeemed all of humanity. And so I have a prayer. And I'd like for us to stand and then we're going to pray this prayer and receive communion together.